Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I am the uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham, and joined alongside Chris Trevino and Shotgun Spratling. And we're going to talk all about USC football going into fall camp starts this coming week, which is exciting. We're going to talk about the access that we'll be able to get and uh, the coverage we'll be able to provide during USC fall camp and during the season. Of course, Pac-12 media day was Friday, so we got to hear from Lincoln Riley, we got to hear from... Shane Lee, the linebacker transfer from Alabama, and uh, Caleb Williams, the quarterback uh, transfer from Oklahoma. We also heard from George Klyovkov and all the other coaches, a bunch of players in the Pac-12. So we'll kind of give our thoughts. Chris and I were both there in person. Shotgun was watching on the East Coast uh, on the Pac-12 network feed, seeing what was going on there. So we'll give your thoughts on what's going on. A lot of talk about the future of the Pac-12, the future of USC. Maybe a few shots taken at the Trojans and the Bruins for leaving and what it means for student-athletes. A little bit of that. We got the, this is the first time we got to hear from George Klyovkov since uh, the news broke uh, one month ago, uh, like on the eve of his one-year anniversary as the uh, commissioner of the Pac-12. I, I read a lot of the one-on-one interviews, Dennis Dodd, John Canzato, a bunch of people that got to t- talk to him one-on-one, our Brandon Marcello from 24-7 Sports. So kind of get his, you know, he had a general theme. So we'll kind of talk about that and get any thoughts on all that. We should You should be able to watch us live on all three platforms. We're on YouTube Live. We're on Facebook, and we are on Twitter live. So appreciate all that. If you are on um, Facebook or if you're on YouTube, we should be able to put your comments up on the screen. So you can do that. I'll start monitoring those uh, in a little bit. And we'll just watch it. We'll put them in a little dock. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll try to go through all your questions. I think you wanted to know. Try to put like question because we get a lot of comments in those boxes. So if you put question, we'll, we'll be able to spot it easier and maybe pull it up and uh, answer your question. But it's a beautiful warm uh sunday evening here in southern california it's it's sunday night and on the east coast for shotgun sprattling but shoddy how you doing out there man i'm doing well and, and you said that i got to watch the feeds let's let's back that up a little bit and i tried to watch the feeds of the pac-12 network it was not again once again pac-12 network being pac-12 network was not very well organized um you know they had george kleokov talk and that was live that's good. And then that and then that was repeated three times. And then they waited around for a little bit and then they did some interviews with each of the sit-downs with all softball questions from, you know, from the Pac-12 network, which would you would expect and you would like to see those interviews, 
But, you know, just watching some of the other media days, and you know, especially paying a little bit more attention to the Big Ten media days this year, media days, because they have two days, they spread it out, and they take their time. And you watch the full interview where the journalists and not just the people that are being paid by the conference are asking the questions. You, you get the real questions. You know, there's questions about USC and UCLA moving conferences and not just, hey, someone got married during the offseason. What's that like? Hey, look at those Ooh. socks you're wearing. That's, that's fancy. You know, let's talk a little bit football. Let's talk about some stuff that people are actually interested in instead of blah, 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 blah for, her, you know, three or four minutes of a – 10 or 12 minute interview um, and, you know, wasting a lot of time when there's so many intriguing storylines in the PAC 12 network. Now I did find that they did have the coaches live streamed online on the PAC 12 insider. They did, which I still don't know what the hell that is. Honestly, I don't know if that's an app. I don't know if that's just an online thing. I know I watch it through online and I've been able to watch some, you know, baseball games during the spring and stuff, but still don't really know what the hell it is. And I get emails that tell me what's going to be on the Pac-12 Insider and stuff. It's just not really well marketed and whatnot. And you didn't get to hear from the student athletes at all. And that's one of my favorite things about Media Day. And one of the things that, you know, uh, that I was disappointed not to be a part of this year is not just the USC student athletes, because we do get a chance to talk to them. But, you know, hearing from guys like Chase Lucas last year and um, and uh, uh, Brit- Brevin Co- Britton Covey from Utah – just absolutely, I was astounded listening to them talk. And I was like, I love these guys now. Yeah. I want to talk to them after, you know, when they play USC. I want to hear their thoughts. I want to see what quotes they're giving about USC leading up to the USC game because I know these are very thoughtful young individuals that are, you know, that take their time and put really thought. And I, you know, got a chance to chat one-on-one with those guys a little bit, you know, all, off camera and off uh, off the podium and stuff. And you didn't even get those podium talks. So thankfully you guys were filming both the podium and, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley to hear the players' thoughts uh, and get a chance to hear what Kayla Williams and Shane Lee said, because I think that was one of the things that was really missing uh, from their coverage is, you know, they did did the sit-downs with them. And again, softball questions, and you get two or three minutes from these guys versus a true 15 minutes where they're being peppered and, you know, some real questions being asked of them. And a lot with, with so many new faces in the Pac-12 and so many impact new faces potentially at USC and other places which is one of the things that was kind of disappointing about Pac-12 uh, Media Day, you know, watching from afar. Ladies and gentlemen, when you say hello to Shotgun, that's what you get. So uh... <laughs> I almost left to go to the bathroom. Uh, real quick, so what he was referring to, I, we, we thought they were going to broadcast what we see, the, the main stage mm-hmm. at Pac-12 Media Day. They did not. I actually met one of the, a lot of nice people that work at the Pac-12. This guy started talking to me, Bob, and, uh, you know, Seeming a really nice guy, listens to the podcast of champions and stuff. And, uh, you know, does he works with the programming and everything. He was on set when we were watching um, uh, Yogi Roth and Ashley Ab- A- Adamson. Um, is that that's your last name, right? Yeah. Uh, interview. Yeah. You interview the player, you know, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams. And uh, I think it was Nigel Burton interviewed uh, Shane Lee, if I'm not mistaken. But I was sitting there talking with him while that was going on. And he said they they do broadcast the whole thing live, but it's on the the website, right? The network they show those kind of twenty minute blocks, and I it, apparently the reason was you're you can kind of um, reuse those a lot easier than you can like the live thing. So they have the it's basically like for replay purposes or something. But that was sort of like the mindset. What I got to talk to about that, I'm like, why isn't this going out live? And he's like, well, it is on the website. So, uh, but like you said, so I'm not sure where that would be. 
So that's interesting that that's the reasoning they give because, you know, they did the, the Pac-12 media day is basically split up into a half. It used to be northern teams and southern teams. And, you know, one would go before lunch, one would go after lunch. And so, you know, the, you know, if USC was the last one this time on the podium, well, they do all their other media engagement stuff for the Pac-12 network, you know, shooting the commercial, the, the spots and stuff. All that stuff happens, but they don't have to arrive at 8 a.m. They arrive at lunchtime, eat lunch, and then they go do that stuff and they cycle through each of the teams. Um, well, I, which is looking at the the Big Ten and how they did their media day, I thought it was interesting. They would have a coach speak, and then those coaches, you know, on the podium, then those coaches go out, and they, I think they do some more stuff as well. But they have players then come up and speak with the network, and they have the network break down what the coaches said. So there's that reusable stuff, whereas the Pac-12 network, they had that first group go, and then it repeated itself, and then it repeated itself again. So while their coach is talking, and there could be live content, they're playing the, you know, the Utah and, you know, Colorado you know, interviews for the third time, you know, while USC is up on set and actually talking and even instead of doing it live, you know, that there, so there were some things that I understand why they could do that and why that is repeatable, but there's just more content items out there for them that I think, and this has been a problem with the Pac-12 network throughout. And like you said, Ryan, I've talked with a lot of people that work for the Pac-12 network and for the Pac-12 and had great conversations with them and very nice people, but just the entity as a whole there's just so many opportunities that they're not fully capitalizing on. And I think that's, it's been a continual running thing where, you know, instead of having, you know, big name opportunities and, you know, mar big market events of, you know, top five baseball teams playing, instead you got a rerun from three weeks ago. Instead yeah. of having live content from the media day and doing some different things, potentially you're playing the same thing over for a third time. Now it it's fine that you do it. You want to, capture that and have it for replay but does it need to be replayed three times before we hear from the second group of teams at all yeah like that like you can play it the rest of the day the next day because you don't really necessarily have content you know? but why are you replaying it while there's live capture opportunities going on yeah. those are the type of issues that i think the pac network has suffered from so tony i put a comment up from him he said the pac website was wonderfully streaming totally free the coaches it was the first pac-12 thing i've ever been able to watch so i guess I guess it was up on the website, so that's that's cool. They got it right. With two years ago, they got yeah. it right. <laughs> Chris, hello to you. Since I, you know, that look, was... <laughs> I'm I'm just here to to look pretty. I got a haircut. I'm just here to look nice. So you're, you're looking sharp, dude. I like Thanks. it. I'm just. This is a shotgun and Ryan show. I'm just here. I'm <laughs> I just really here so I don't get fine. I gave a little Chris, intro. Chris, I do have to ask, how was the environment of the Pac-12 Network or the Pac-12 Media Day? Because you were quick to mention. There's no Wi-Fi. How is there no Wi-Fi in, you know, Tech Capital Conference um, and in L.A.? Well, what happened here? Look, if you were to ask me what my thoughts are on Pac-12 Media Day, I would just come back and say my most popular tweet from Friday was about how crappy the Wi-Fi was. Uh, I believe my exact words were uh, the Pac-12 Media Wi-Fi is officially dead, much like – never mind – this tweet probably won't even go out. And that did a lot of numbers. Um, and it was very funny because I think Ryan had this tweet too where you could just see everyone's iPhone being used when you pulled up the uh, the Wi-Fi's to, yeah. to join. So every, had to it's, it's like it. everyone yeah. had to hotspot their Wi-Fi. <laughs> I do not have a newer Wi-Fi, so my new hots so my hotspot Wi-Fi is not great. It's it was just marginally better than the Pac-12, but I kept trying. I kept plugging into the Pac-12 media. 
and it would just go for like literally like 30 seconds and then it would would die yeah so i was a little bit frustrated as someone who you know working media there i didn't do any stories there because i couldn't i couldn't connect to the internet so that was a big blow uh in terms of you know my my review of uh Paxwell media day um and it was a much smaller venue than we're used to yes um that wasn't i didn't go last year was that the same venue no it was at the w hotel last year okay but smaller right this was this was smaller i think yeah from what i remember and i did notice that obviously they would have in years past it was a much bigger room you'd have the coach way up front and then you would have the players on sort of opposite corners but this year they had them the players go at the same time and the same table as the coach and since it was such a small room you could hear the players kind of talking their their quotes and their responses to questions were sort of cutting into the coach when he was speaking on the podium and you could kind of uh you'd be listening to a coach and then you'd hear a coach or sorry a player say something over it and you would just kind of get a little bit confused uh getting caught up in what someone was saying across the room and like i said wasn't a very big room so i was looking more so at the uh the issues with the day in itself um i don't want to feel like i'm just like shitting on the pac-12 uh organizers or whatever but the 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 rows could not have been smaller could not have been more squished together uh i got bumped several times um it it was definitely tight it was tight in there and to be fair all the national reporters when we were saying the wi-fi sucked they were like sac media day wi-fi sucked big 10 media day wi-fi so even the rich conferences their wi-fi sucked so i don't know it's 2022 We still can't so get the everyone's, Wi-Fi right. Everyone's Wi-Fi sucked. It was very tight in there. And I didn't like when I left my seat to go to something else, I didn't want to go back. And there was like it was That's why you have to sit at the end. Yeah, we didn't sit at the end. We sat in the middle. But I was trying to get like a better spot if I wanted to shoot, but we didn't end up shooting because we were close. So yeah. Uh I mean it was weird. And if you want to look at what um George Klyovkov said, like I mentioned, this was the first time he got to speak. Um, a lot of different talking points. One of the things that he said was that the you know the the Big Twelve was basically launching grenades, trying to destabilize the Pac-12. He made it very clear in every interview I heard. He said, "There's no big Pac-12 school that's going to go to the Big Twelve. It doesn't make financial sense." He kind of took some shots at, at the Big 12's deal. Big 12's deal doesn't come up till 2025. Pac-12's 2024. A lot of it's going to hinge on you know what that that deal is going to be. He seemed pretty confident that the, the conference would be stable at 10, maybe even 11. Cause he made some you know comments that UCLA might ha- be running into trouble to get over there. They got that board of regents thing coming up. He said a lot of the people around UCLA are unhappy with this decision. And you know, some of the reporters I talked to are like, yeah, there's nothing they can force them to do, but if there's enough pressure internally where they're like, Hey, you got to subsidize Cal because you're leaving and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, all right, we'll just stay. Um, so I, I don't think there's a very likely chance that that happens, but there was at least some talk of that, but the 10 teams he felt was going to be pretty stable and you have to wait for the big 10 deal, which is probably going to be announced in the next couple of weeks. And then he's going to keep working on the PAC 12 deal that the window for the, they have an exclusive negotiating window that lasts 30 days. that ends August 7th with ESPN and Fox. Fox isn't going to be involved because they're the big 10, but ESPN, there's not going to be a deal coming up in the next week, but 
he thinks over the next couple of months uh, after the big tw- Big Ten deals announced, they'll have something there. And then they'll at least have some numbers to dig into. They're going to be creative. They're going to have a streaming, most likely a, a digital element to this uh, at some you know at some point. So he's a smart guy. I think they will come up with some kind of creative solution. Um, but you're not going to – basically, you have to be – you're going to be – you're trying to be a distant third. You're not going to get first. You're not going to get second. But if you can be a distant third and be above the ACC and the Big 12 – that's more appealing, and that's going to keep at least your members here. If the Big Ten comes calling and says, hey, Oregon, Washington, you should come, then they're gone. Like, there's nothing you can do there. So are they going to sign a grant of rights? It's definitely going to be a shorter deal this time that Larry Smith, you know, Larry Scott, Larry Smith, Larry Scott signed a 12-year deal, which was uh, way too long. So they're going to probably sign like four or five, six-year deal, something like that, which is better. Will it include Oregon? Will it include Washington? We'll have to wait and see. But he pretty much put any you know, any of those rumors that – the Arizona schools, Colorado, uh, Utah are leaving for the Big 12. He made it very clear that that is not the case. And every time they're being solicited by someone in the Big 12, those presidents and chancellors, ADs, forward the emails over to George Klyovkov, and he gets to read them all. So I thought that was kind of funny. But there was no Mike Bone there, uh, no Martin Jarmon there, so the athletic directors at USC and UCLA. Uh, George Klyovkov said he hasn't talked to – um, those athletic directors at all. He talked to the two presidents, you know, Carol Fult, I'm blanking on UCLA's president's chancellor's name. Um, they talked, yeah, they, they talked like right after this to be formally announced that, you know, formally let them know, hey, we're leaving the conference. That's all the communication they've had. There's been, there's been future meetings for the Pac-12 where USC and UCLA were not involved. And I think we saw the same things in the Big 12 where if it's a meeting about what's going on right now, Everyone can be involved. If it's a meeting about the future, you know, the new TV deal, USC and UCLA aren't going to be involved in that. So that's sort of my little summary of like what Klyovkov said. Anything else that I missed or stand out for either of you guys about what uh, what he said about the kind of state of the conference and USC and UCLA leaving? Uh, just for me, I like that he was maybe aggressive isn't the word, but he didn't. Uh, he was a little spicy. He was a little feisty up there. Um, and I refer to him as the commish moving forward because I never know how to say his last name correctly. But the commish was a little bit of an attitude out there. You know, there's some times he was like, I'm not going to dignify that with a question. You know, he had some tongue in cheek moments, you know, talking about the Big 12 in terms of we don't know if we're going to go shopping there yet. So and then, you know, he was a little bit uh, abrasive at times when a reporter asked a question he didn't like, you know, when the New York Times came up. And asked him about a comment he made earlier about they were going to accommodate USC and UCLA athletes uh, throughout their final uh, run through the conference. You know, New York Times asked him, basically, why would you do that? And he was like, because it's the right thing to do. And you could tell he was really frustrated with that line of questioning because these are teenagers. These are kids. You know, this isn't – this wasn't a decision made by them. Uh, so it, it only it's only the right thing to do to sort of be cordial to these – young men and women in, the, in this conference. And that was obviously the classy uh, high road to take uh, for the commissioner. And I, listening to him, I just felt like, I think he's the right commissioner, but he's just at a bad time. And I think RJ Arbadia had a column up about it, just how I think, you know, the commission could be a really good commissioner. It just happened to be um placed in the situation that it was a very, very hard situation to win. And, you know, he's doing his best given the hand he's been dealt. 
the the hand got a lot worse, but he's he's at least it seems like he's trying. Um, so that was kind of my takeaways from uh, the commission's opening remarks. Yeah, a like, little spicy, a little spicy there. Like David Carr could have been a great quarterback, but he was picked by the Texans, right? And they just stunk. And you know who knows? In another life, he could have took nine hundred sacks. I completely agree with Chris. Like he, you, you look at him and you root for George Kliakov, uh, especially with what the Pac-12 has been through the, you know, the, the decade before. And, you know, it's, it feels, you feel bad for him. The, like, like Chris said, the, the, the cards he's been dealt because he's got a two, a seven, a Jack, nothing suited. And like, what are we going to do with his hand here? Um, you know, and there's just not, no good cards in there right now. He's trying to, you know, pick a couple more and he's just not getting what he needs there. And, his best cards are are shipping their way to the the Big Ten right now, so you do feel bad for him in that regard. But you look at it, you go, man, if this guy would have been given the reins when Larry Scott was given the reins, where would this conference be at right now? Exactly. How different would it be? And you think would the Pac-12 be one of the top two conferences, if not, you know, if it wasn't top three conferences, you know, because maybe he Kliakov, Kliakov, but. If the same situation was on the table with Oklahoma and Texas potentially coming to US, I mean to the Pac-12, I think he gets that deal done. Larry Scott wasn't able to get it done. I think he has the foresight to find a way to get that done. And then what happens? How different is it the last decade? You know, if if those two teams, and I think there were a couple more that were going to come with them. You know, Oklahoma State, and I don't remember who the the, the fourth one was going to be. They joined the Pac-12, became the Pac-16. How different does it look then? What does SEC start picking up their, the pieces from there? How quickly does you know the, the realignments happen? But it would have been completely vastly different. And I think he's a guy that would have got that done, whereas Larry Scott you know, just didn't have the foresight and didn't have the care. And Kleokov has gone around and, and done the, you know, the tour of the, the campuses, has gotten the feedback. He's done all the things that you would want a leader to do. And unfortunately, just things that are out of his hands – you know, have not been able to, you know, to help him out. So you feel, I feel bad for him in this situation. And he's a guy that, you know, you, you want to follow and say, wherever he goes next, if the Pac-12 ends up folding or whatever, you think that company or that situation is going to improve with him at the helm because of what he showed so far with the Pac-12. Yeah. Shotgun, what would have a uh, Larry Scott opening remarks sounded like on Friday? <laughs> There would have been a lot of discussion about, you know, the uh, the, the water polo wins that, yeah. that the conference has had and, you know, that the, the track and field is really improving in the conference. And, you know, the, the UCLA made it to the softball, you know, to the College World Series for softball. It would have been bad. You know, it, it would have probably taken him – it would have taken at least to the question and answer phase before UC, USC and UCLA were even mentioned. Or anything was mentioned about the fact that, hey, we got to do something about this going forward. Larry Scott just lived in his own bubble, you know, and that included every other sport except for football when he was supposed to be talking about football, unfortunately. So, you know, that's what you would I would have expected from Larry Scott. And then the, the Q&A phase would have just been hilarious because there would have been no answers at all. There would have been no spice. Uh, he was just kind of talked around things and not given an answer. You know, he was one of those type of, of you know, responders to question to difficult questions so you know 
I didn't think Larry Scott did a very good job or a good job or any job uh, for most of the time, whereas Kliakov has, has done as best as he can with what he's been handed. Yeah. I agree uh, with some comments about him being, you know, Delta crap sandwich and all that for, for real. I, I think he's been, you know, done a really nice job his first year for what you could do. Could have been some, I mean, I'm sure he could have done some things better. Um, you know, there was a mistake. He, he said he didn't regret not adding the big 12 teams last year when they would have had an opportunity to. Uh, I mean, at the time though, he said it was the right decision, which I, you know, I kind of agree with him, but uh, you didn't have the foresight to say, Hey, this, USC and UCLA could leave. You could argue that should he have been talking to USC and UCLA about a bigger slice of the pie? Uh, was that a non-starter for the other Pac-12 members? We're, we're just not going to know. They're talking about it now. Like, hey, if UCLA came back, could they get a, a bigger share? Um, George Klyovkov talked about maybe more incentive-based. If you make a playoff or something, you get a bigger piece of that. But I don't think that that would really cut it. If you're if you're USC, UCLA, or if you're the bigger brands left like in Oregon or Washington, you're just going to want more money, you know, like, hey, it doesn't matter how well we perform. We want to get more money. I'm not sure the other schools are ready to do that. Maybe they are now that USC and UCLA left. You're like, well, look, do you want to lose those schools too? You got to like, you have to pay the the bigger brand. So we'll kind of see. Um, but let's talk. Oh, I, thought go ahead. Was, I thought it was interesting as well. The news that came out simultaneously or right after Pac-12 Media Day, Brady McCullough's story for the LA Times uh, that USC you know, was, you know, and Carol Folt, the president, was one of the ones that kind of put the, the kibosh on that that opportunity to add a couple of the Big 12 schools and didn't feel like it was the right time to do that. And you that makes you, you immediately wonder, was USC playing the long game at that time or was that just a decision, you know, that was appropriate at, in, in that uh, situation and there wasn't this opportunity at that time yet? And that, that's, that's, a, that's a million-dollar question or, you know, multi multi-million dollar question for USC and UCLA because you know the numbers that are being thrown out right now uh, for ESPN and some of the other offers for the amount of money that would be supplied to uh, to the conference for the media deal right now compared to what USC and UCLA are you know being hypothesized that they will receive are huge huge disparities so you wonder if USC and UCLA had foresight on that or if it just kind of played out that way. Yeah. Uh, well, we also heard from uh, Lincoln Riley. Let me put a picture of uh, him up there. Looking very dapper in his suit. The uh, suit gang. The suit gang. Yeah, we, I'll put a picture up. Uh, Caleb Williams and uh, Shane Lee. Everyone looked good uh, in their suits. There was some little kind of newsy stuff. Uh, what, you know, hearing about, you know, Max Gibbs, uh, who's not on the roster, dealing with some kind of personal issue. Uh, Atticus Bertram's the, the punter from... Australia also not being, you know, on the roster. It seems like there's some optimism there that, you know, he might come around again at some point. There was some kind of injury or something. But any thoughts on that stuff or any of the newsy items, Chris, from uh, what Lincoln Riley had to say? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really expect to get anything really in-depth as far as those two updates with those guys. I mean, both of them are significant losses, though. I mean, Atticus, while a true freshman, you know, six foot three. 215 pounds Aussie uh, from down under. He was, you know, projected to be USC's starting punter or a guy who's be the favorite to to win that job out of fall camp, uh, despite just being a, a true freshman. Uh, but now USC's punting situation looks a little bit, a little bit wary. A, a kind of a, it was a kind of a question mark going in. But at least you had a scholarship uh, 
uh, scholarship player at that position. And now you got two walk-ons. You know, Will Rose, who took the majority of the spring camp uh, reps and spring game, and I know that was a a talking point for fans that yo the punter the punting looks a little bit a little bit shaky right now. Uh, but you did bring in Garth White. You know, he is a five-star uh, JUCO prospect. Uh, five star in the ratings, you know, the kicker ratings, not not necessarily are the composite of 24-7 sports rankings, but he didn't punt a lot at the JUCO level at the JUCO level out of Ventura just because he was behind a really, really good uh punter slash kicker. But he has uh dual ability as a punter and kicker. And right now, uh, you know, I'm looking at him with the assumption that Atticus is not going to play this season, and I'm looking at him like, hey, this is his job to to win. You know, he's coming in here. Uh, with some experience, uh, with a highly regarded ranking behind him, uh, he's a big guy, six foot four, two hundred pounds. That could be right your punter right there. And then obviously Max Gibbs being the sort of the bigger one, just because USC does not have adequate depth at one offensive line and two at the interior. You did bring in Cooper Lovelace, but Max Gibbs was operating as your second team right tackle, sorry, right guard for all of spring camp. Dropped 30 pounds, was down to 370. I know a lot of people were excited to see, oh, this is what he did from winter to spring. What's he going to look like from spring through summer to fall camp? Probably another significant weight drop, hopefully maybe around 350. But now, you know, that's a big hole in your depth. He didn't have a, he didn't have any playing experience at off, uh, offensive line. You know, obviously, if you remember, he played defensive line last season to help out with that uh, those depth issues. Uh, but, you know, I, I was expecting him to get a lot of time. As sort of a developmental player, you know, uh, USC puts up a bunch of points in the first half, third quarter, get those backups in, get those offensive linemen uh, like a like a Mason Murphy, like a Cooper Lovelace, like a Max Gibbs, like a Gino Quinones, get those guys some reps in the fourth quarter, in the third quarter, let them build some confidence. So if there's an injury, and you know, Shotgun, we talk about this all the time, if there's an injury at the offensive line, which is usually you have at least one pop up. You know, you have somebody that is getting time, getting experience, getting confidence. So Max Gibbs is a guy, you know, a lot of potential. There's a reason why Alabama was the school that offered him, why Florida offered him, why SEC teams were looking at him. Super high potential. You could see it was coming together in the weight room. Uh, so this is a big loss for them just in terms of, you know, a guy who had a really high ceiling and obviously for the depth for next season. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Shotgun, on what Riley had to say? No. Going back and you know playing things through my mind, I know some there was some individual talk about this type of stuff, but it, those type of you know the talk about Atticus Bertram and Max Gibbs didn't really come up in the podium discussions, which tells you how much has changed for USC just as far as this offseason. There's so many other things to talk about, but also you know how far away that is. There's just so much going on with you know the the conference realignment, all this type of stuff that. That's not necessarily something that come up that came up. Um, I thought the the most interesting things from the players and from uh, from Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley responding to the allegations, to the mm -hmm. social media rumors, to all the discussion about Jordan Addison, uh, uh, you know the the Pat Narduzzi mouthing off, I guess you want to call it, you know, just you know going off. He's gone off a couple times this offseason, whether it be about Jordan Addison or about his own offense coordinator. Uh, from last year and throwing the ball too much. I, you know, so I thought it was interesting that he answered that, 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 you know, it was something that, that, uh, that, you know, that affected him, I guess, you know, that he took it, you know, was a slight the way that Pat Narduzzi he didn't just shrug it off. You know, he says, I built this reputation 
and for someone to come at me, absolutely, you know, it, it does, uh, you know, does warrant, you know, that conversation. And he said he talked with Narduzzi, and when asked what those conversations were, he said, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that necessarily." But that was the, the most intriguing thing for Lincoln Riley, I thought. The players, I thought, the most interesting thing was the talk about culture and the talk about how that's changed. That's something we've been wondering the entire time in something that had to change for USC, something that Dante Williams started putting in the baby steps for this group, you know, when, when Clay Helton was fired, but obviously there were still big, big steps to take. And to hear what Caleb Williams and Shane Lee said about how this group has come together, which is a difficult thing when you bring in so many newcomers, you know, the roster is so different from last year as Chris tweeted out, um, you know, and they released in their media guide, how many, you know, players that were on the roster last year that are gone 54 players that were on the roster now that includes walk-ons and the number on the roster was up over 100 but 54 players that's more than the nfl roster is allowed to have on game day that's crazy the number of people that have changed there so you bring in 20 transfers you bring in the freshmen and then you know you're seeing the growth from guys and there were a ton of you know new guys last year and how is that group going to meld but it sounds like, and hey, we'll have to wait until we see them on game day for one, uh, but a little bit in fall camp, we should get a better idea as well. Is how is that group going to come together? And from Caleb Williams and Shane Lee, it sounds like that group has come together much quicker than they anticipated as guys coming from two really strong programs in Oklahoma and Alabama. And they were really surprised. And you know, listen to Shane Lee talk about how, hey, he was, you know, he's been interested in golf and he's like, oh, I kind of want to go. And the offensive linemen were the ones that invited him to go out. Not the other linebackers, not somebody else on defense, not some other transfer, but some of the returning offensive linemen said, hey, come out with us. You can use my clubs. We'll teach you. Don't worry. Let's go have some fun. And those type of experiences um, you know, are, are what builds, a, you know, builds the locker room culture. So it was very interesting to me. That's one of the things we've been wondering about. And because we haven't seen as much um, you know, on-field action in spring camp, you know, we've still been wondering about, but it sounds like those things that you really need to take that next step and to be to play above the level of just the talent on paper, which is what USC has not done well recently. They've been talented on paper, but they played below it. And now can you play above the talent level that you have? So then do you start, you know, does one guy pick up from another guy and go that extra step, go that extra mile? And it sounds like those guys have been doing that in the weight room especially. Caleb Williams talked about how he's lost six pounds and lost 2% body fat. He's talked about the offensive linemen, how much they're bench pressing and everything else. Those were the things that stood out to me from what the players had to say. Yeah. I I do hope – Shane Lee did joke that he was terrible at golf, but I he, hope yeah. that he was uh, he was happy Gilmoreing it out there. Oh. <laughs> like, like just straight winding up, boom, send that sucker 600 yards. Um, another newsy thing that I wanted to just quickly touch on is that sure. USC was projected uh, third in the media poll uh, behind Utah, deservingly, should have been named number one, uh, Oregon at number two, and then USC at third, even though USC got more second place votes, five to the two. Uh, first place votes. First place, sorry, yeah. excuse me. Five first place votes to Oregon's two first place votes. And but the whole thing, media poll, preseason, doesn't matter. But I think USC should feel happy – not happy, but I think that's a fair spot, uh, third, considering all the changes they've had, how bad they were last year, 
Uh, and again, you go out and ha- handle your business, uh, you're going to probably be up there uh, playing for a Pac-12 championship. And the other uh, preseason thing was the uh, all Pac-12 teams, which USC tied for first with, uh, is it nine players for 10 spots, uh, not including honorable mention. And Caleb Williams, first team, uh, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, this is all off the dome. Uh, Truly to Apolotu, Andrew Voorhees, first team, uh, Travis Dye, first team uh, as a kick returner, uh, yes. all-purpose player. And then second team, you had Makai Blackman. and I think Travis Dye was also there. Travis Dye, second team uh, yeah. running back offense. And I think that was all for... Brendan Rice. Brendan Rice was also... As a returner. As a returner. Um, but I just want to say, I think it's laughable that Kalen Bullock yes. did not even get an honorable mention. That's And to get an honorable mention, you just need at least four media votes. How did four people not vote for Kalen Bullock, who was a freshman, All-American last season, and a true freshman starter for this defense. And some of that Caleb Williams talked highly of in his podium, just to how that's a guy who's just really impressing him. I just, I, it's, I don't know. I have no words. And I just, there's a conspiracy. Did Kalen Bullock slap every media person's mom? I don't understand why he did not it get. Might, it might be my fault. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Take the floor. Real quick. Uh, I got the so I hadn't oh, been a no. voter for the last year or two for some reason. Like I got off of their mailing list. Maybe because we were talking a little track the Pac-12 podcast. You know, maybe they. <laughs> oh, okay. But I, I was emailing with them. I got back on the list. Uh, but unfortunately, they sent you a thing to vote. Like while I was in Catalina, like with no service, and I ran. Like the deadline happened, and I didn't get to vote. So maybe he got three mm. votes, and my vote would have put it over the top. Um, yeah. I would have had, I would have had the poll. I would have had USC second, and Utah first. So I would have okay. Maybe make that a little closer. Well, to who would you so. vote for? Who would you vote for on the first teams? Who would you put on there? Let's just do it right now. Share us what USC. No, players. I mean, Caleb Bullock would have been okay. in there. Like he would have probably been a second teamer for me. Okay. Yeah, but I haven't looked at. I haven't you know. Thorough, so, but so he would have been involved. Answer why why Caleb Bullock didn't get there. And okay. Listen to all the names that you listed outside of Andrew Voorhees. You know, most of those names are transfers. Most of them, you know, and when you transfer, then hey, people, you know, you know, get the news alert or get the see the tweet or whatever. And like, oh, Brendan Rice is transferring. Is he any good? Let me check out and see if he's any good. You're not looking to see the guys that are still there. And when your team is awful, like USC was last year, no one cares to watch and see what Caitlin Bullock can do. And also the fact that Caitlin Bullock played three different positions last year. He moved around a lot, so there were times where you struggled a little bit, had some freshman struggles. We, watching him every day, know what he is capable of, have seen the plays that he can make, have seen the teach tape type of moments that he had, like the Washington State interception, and know that he is, you know, a kid that is going to be a gem for USC. And the fact that looking at some of the photos, looking at the videos that USC has produced, the weight is starting to come. It's still He's still super, super thin, but he's not rail thin anymore. So we see because we're paying attention to it a lot more. We've had to watch all those games, those terrible games last year. And for someone like me who watched it six, seven, eight times, you know, doing film study and review and all that stuff. But if you're, you know, a Utah you know, writer, are you watching that USC game? 
maybe you watch the 60 minute version while you're having a cocktail or while you're doing your other work. You're not looking up at every single play and studying this guy. So that's why someone like Caleb Bullock, I think gets overlooked. Whereas someone like Andrew Voorhees, you see the PFF, uh, you know, uh, tweets and everything because he's the, one of the top offensive linemen in the country as far as their grading for interior offensive linemen. So I think that's where he, he got pushed out there. I completely agree that he got shafted in that regard, but it's a preseason poll. No one thinks about the preseason poll. You don't put that on your resume later like, hey, I was preseason. Hey, what you doing? That? What, what about after season? Were, were you first team then? Oh, uh, no, that, that, that uh, what had happened was – you know that's not you know, what you put on there. So in the post, in the you know, as long as he stays healthy, healthy, I think at the end of the season we're going to see Caleb Bullock probably first team, maybe second team. We'll see. You know, just off the top of my head, I don't know all the safeties. Uh, you know, going through it in the the Pac-12, I would have to do some research there. And maybe you have some media voters that are like Ryan came back from a trip because of summer, and you go, oh, crap, I got to get this in real quick, and you just go off the top of the dome. You don't you know have that full full research. So yeah, different couple of different ways that he got left off. I know it's a preseason poll, but as a Kalen Bullock stan, <laughs> I will not stand for the disrespect. Wait, we get it, Chris. I will not stand for the disrespect. Um, and Shotgun, don't forget, you have to reveal who your guy is on this team, as someone requested for tunnel vision. Yeah. Uh, I haven't thought about this, but Kalen Bullock is actually up there. Uh, from his if his Pasadena Mirror days, step off, going Shotgun. To, going to see a couple other guys on that team and just falling in love with his energy. Just bouncing around on the sidelines, so much energy, and you see the playmaking ability as well. Whew. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a fun kid to watch, uh, and I, I love the, the huge smile that he has and how everyone gravitates towards him. He's one of those type players. So of the returners, Caleb Bullock is definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, real quick on the the, the two guys, uh, Caleb, um, Caleb Williams and Shane Lee, were very – impressive uh in the interviews that i heard um you know when i we got to ask them some questions but a couple of dmv guys talked about that i asked them if uh you know they were friends with jordan addison and they you know and caleb williams was like not really uh he said he wasn't really involved uh he didn't really know him you know prior to uh you know the when they were in the dmv area so that was something we thought about but he was not shy about like, yeah, man, we were all texting him, like, you know, making sure like your players, like people were like, oh, there's a tampering, like Caleb Williams was, Hey, I want you to come here. I'm going to text you. Like, there's no, you know, you can't, you can't stop a player from texting another player. Uh, I don't think it didn't seem like it was at the direction of any coaches or anything like that. They're like, yeah, dude, I want to get the Belitikov winner here and I want to throw balls to him. Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny, but a lot of DMV talk, Chris, with that little scrum. I thought you would have enjoyed it. Uh, you're telling me a couple of DMV guys were impressive with the media? Yeah, it's shocking. I know. That's... And, uh, <laughs> tell me when something real. Wait, 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 Chris. What if you were? What if you were being interviewed by the media? You think you would be impressive? <laughs> 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 As it, it, um, he also I, talked I about something. Caleb I dropped something. Caleb Williams talked about um, like he, he was asked by Ashley Adamson like about his like what he would do if he wasn't playing football. He talked about swimming, uh, being like a competitive swimmer. I was waiting for like Chris Trevino coached him at swimming. You know, I was waiting for my photo to pop up on the Pac-12 Media Day. Like, yeah, with the- Chris, you got to have that conversation and remind him of that because he may have you know forgotten, thought you're still in the DMV. Maybe you're covering Maryland, but now. You gotta have that conversation. I have, to I have, that passion. I have the photo of us uh, when he was a a small little little guppy, 
Um, and me also as the coach. I have the photo. I have the team photo. I'm saving it though. I was gonna I'm say saving that, it how to has that drop been it. it out. I'm saving it to drop it at a reasonable time. A reason I'll do it after his Heisman win. I think Keely Keely brought it up to him at some point, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm he- I'm frequently mentioned on the uh <laughs> the victory pod for whatever reason. Well, yeah. uh, Nick Figueroa brought me up on there. Like, I know people. <laughs> I know people. I think Alex Stadhouse brought me up on the thing. I just, I'm around. I'm, I'm like an unofficial co-host of the Victory Pod. Nice. Go check out the Victory Pod. Very cool. So, so to go back to the actual conversation about Caleb Williams talking about Jordan Addison, I think it shows you the intelligence, the leadership of Caleb Williams. He knows the transfer rules, having gone through it. He knows whether you know coaches are allowed to. to reach out because we talk with players and I've talked with different players, you know, the, the different sports about, they're like, Oh wait, can I reach out to someone now? Or is that allowed? Or is that, I, that might be tampering. And like, you have to explain to them, you're a player. You can basically do whatever you want. You talk to whoever you want. Whereas Caleb Williams knows exactly what is going on. And it just, it's a continuation of what we've seen with all the NIL stuff that he's done with all the stuff when he's been on campus, how he's handled himself in the, you know, the the live broadcast of the spring game, doing interviews in between drives. He just, he gets it. He, you know, everyone, again, everyone gravitates towards this type of player, you know, and he knows how good Jordan Addison is. He said, yeah, I knew he was a DMV guy. I didn't know of him. Uh, or I, I, I didn't know him, but I knew of him. Obviously you're going to keep up with the guys that are doing really well from the DMV area or the area you're from. And so when he hit the transfer portal, or maybe even before, because players are allowed to, to text whoever they want, I said, man, I would love to have this guy. Let's add him to this receiving core. If I want to throw to somebody, yeah, maybe the best wide receiver in the country last year, at least the best stats, the best season, because Drake London was the best player. We know that. He just didn't get to finish off the season because of the injury. He would have won the Blimikoff if not. And he's shown that with a couple of the uh, clips he's already had with the Falcons. Uh, you know, that uh, I was able to tweet out and apologies to the person whose video that I hijacked. I didn't realize that I was not tagging that person. want to give give some props as well there. Uh, but, you know, we've seen Drake London producing already as a first-round pick, and, you know, he would have probably won the Blitnikoff. But Jordan Addison wins it, and Caleb Williams goes, that's the best guy that's returning to college. Let me go see if I can talk him into coming to U.S. Shotgun, how dare you? Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You hate people stealing other people's stuff. How dare people. you? So, uh, you become the villain. My apology on live uh, a live broadcast here. Appreciate that. Um, okay, I think that's a, probably about all from Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, we do have fall camp coming up. Um, 
Friday. Yeah, Friday, USC fall camp starts. Uh, they're actually going to have a media day, August 4th on Thursday. So all afternoon, we'll be at the USC campus getting interviews with be like a couple dozen players and coaches. Um, it pro- looks like there's going to be some opportunities for one-on-ones with people, just sort of like a, you know, a big group setting where you can kind of bop around and talk to different people. So we'll be out there in full force. Uh, lots of content coming into asking questions heading into fall camp. There will be open practices or semi-open practices, like basically what we had in the spring. We can watch the first 20, 30 minutes, depending, you know, the individual drills, stretching, things like that. But we can shoot footage so you can kind of see, you know, the DBs going through different footwork drills, things like that. They're kind of fun. Uh, see the quarterbacks throw, re- receivers catching, things like that. Um, usually the linemen are a little bit tougher. They're kind of further away, but we'll see what we'll, we're able to shoot if they move some guys around. Um, and we'll get some photos and stuff from practice too, so you can kind of see what guys look like, how their bodies have changed and, and all of that. And of course, we'll have interviews afterwards. Sometimes it's just Lincoln Riley available. Sometimes it's the defensive players and coaches. Sometimes it's offensive players and coaches. But there should be, um, a, you know, at least a couple times a week, we'll be able to go to practice, get interviews, get content and uh, provide stuff for you. So we'll be able to give you a lot more insight uh, on what's going on with the team. So that's... Uh, you know, it's encouraging. There's going to be morning practices too. So if you, you know, Chip Kelly's been an advocate of morning practices over at UCLA. He's done it at Oregon. He's done that for a long time. He actually talked about that during Pac-12 media day where he's like, I don't mind the early kickoff times because we practice in the morning and that's where the body clocks are. So that's that's kind of a shift. We see some morning practices and stuff. There's a few practices over in the Coliseum. Uh, But Good news for us, and I, the good news for the fans that you know listen to us, watch us. We will be able to watch some practices. We will talk to a lot of people, kind of figure out what's going on. So I'm, I'm excited about that, guys. And I know someone is going to ask it, but no, they are not open to the public. Right. Yeah. Sorry, they're not open. To I'm the... just jumping on that now. Oh, and w- one quick thing on the uh, the Pac-12 media, I forgot. I talked to uh, Luke Musgrave, the uh, the great uh, Oregon State tight end, um, because. You know, I asked him, hey, what's what do you think, uh, you know, Beaver Stadium is going to be like? What's Corvallis going to be like when USC goes up there? Was it week three or four? Um, checking out, you know, and is it going to be crazy, you know, knowing that USC is like leaving and stuff? And he's very politically correct answer. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, they're going to be fired up. He's just like, we always love to have the fans there, blah, blah, blah. It just was kind of like a boring but I want to try to get a cool soundbite from him. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to like. He didn't take the bait, Ryan. He didn't take the bait. But that's going to be one to watch. Uh, you know, I know Klayovkov was saying like, they want everyone to be treated fairly. But when you go to, that's going to be a crazy environment. Um, anyway, when you go to USC, goes to Corvallis. And don't forget, Research Stadium is being renovated. So you have less people going to be there. So I think it's going to be a little bit more even intense. You know, the people that are there are going to want to yeah. be you know, super, super fired up about it. Um, so I think that's the first one. I think Stanford is Stanford. And right. there's a little bit of rowdiness there because there's a little bit of a rivalry. And, P- and Stanford people will tell you that USC is one of their rivals. USC people won't tell you the same thing about Stanford. And you'll see that if they do not end up in the same conference in two years. Whereas Stanford, David Shaw, you know, talked about, hey, we'd love to still play USC and UCLA. And USC will be like, That'd be cool if we could get make that happen, but we're not going to force the issue on that. You know, we have two rivals, and it's UCLA and it's Notre Dame, and we'll focus on them. And, hey, you know, Stanford, yeah, they're, they're a tough opponent, and they're one of the teams we played a bunch. Um, so I don't think Stanford will be, have that rowdiness, but I think Oregon State, you are going to have it. And then 
Uh, the next road trip, I believe, is the Utah road trip. And that one should be dramatic. Should be yes. fun. The must is always crazy. Uh, I I got to buy, buy my plane ticket now to make sure that I'm going just because I haven't ever been to, to Salt Lake City for a, a Utah you know home game. So I'm really looking forward to that one. Really? Uh, but you know, I've never been. Wow. I've been That's to Salt Lake City. I've been to cover Utah baseball, but they don't play at on campus. So this will be my first time on campus at Utah. Technically wow. that's my last campus I haven't been to in Pac-12. Yeah. I should have asked. I talked to Cam Rising briefly at lunch, just said hello. I, if you guys remember when he beat USC, he was FaceTiming with his mom on the field by himself after the game. And I had like tweeted out a picture of it and it like kind of went a little viral. I was like, yeah, I was the guy that took the picture. He was like, oh, thanks or whatever. And uh, but I should have asked him about like, what do you think? What the, what's the must going to be like when USC, uh, Gets there, so that would have been a good one. But and I talked to Mister Pick Six Clark Phillips the third, yeah, the third I think for the third. Shotgun Shotgun's guy. That is one of my guys. That Clark Phillips is a guy that USC definitely should have recruited harder, and they did not. And you see, with the talent that he has, was committed to Ohio State at one point before flipping to Utah late. But great kid from La Habra, uh, you know, just super down to earth, super respectful young man. And, you know, I've, I've been watching his career and watching him develop and to see him at Pac-12 Media Day, was a little, that was one of the one, one a little bit disappointing not to be there. Uh, one of those guys that you see grow up as a Southern California kid and, you know, to not be, a, be able to kind of chat with him. Uh, we have chatted with him in the last couple of years when USC has played Utah, or at least last year, 2020, didn't get a chance to because of all the restrictions. But, uh, you know, and it, it's it's fun to see those kids grow up and continue to, to get better and better. And Clark Phillips is one of those guys. And, you know, from La Habra, from his, you know, he is Clark Phillips the third. And I, I can remember that because the first game I remember of him was three pick sixes, I believe it was. So uh, three pick sixes, that's, that's, that's a, a ridiculous game, even in a high school game. Um, so, Ryan, what, what do you got there? Oh, hit that like button, people. That's, uh, <laughs> Jamie, Jamie put that up there. So I was like, all right, Jamie, thanks. Hit it three times. Yeah. For Mr. Pick Six. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, thanks, JB, for that. Yeah, if you if you haven't subscribed on our YouTube channel or uh, follow any of us on Twitter, I'll put up our Twitter handles again. You can follow us there. You can watch the videos live. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, too, uscfootball.com over there. But at, at Inside Troy on YouTube, uh, subscribe there. That's kind of the main place where we... Uh, we probably we get the most viewers on YouTube, and if you can subscribe to the uh, the page, that's great. Hit the like for this video and any of the other videos, and for the page, we love that too. Also, it definitely helps. Follow us on TikTok if you are on TikTok at the Peristyle. Yeah, please. I got to start doing some more TikTok stuff, but uh, which I don't do that much of. We'll get you on some dances. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love it. Practice uh, your touchdown dances because. We would think that USC will be in the end zone a lot this year, so we could, you know, we could mimic uh, what we would think that each individual wide receiver or running back uh, or quarterback would do in the in an end zone dance. Hopefully, in the third quarter. Nice. Uh, real quick, before I get to questions, uh, there is a bless you, sir. Excuse uh, me. It's all right. Woo! We got we got to see more of the fresh haircut there. Uh, pool party was this weekend, so a bunch of recruits and stuff were on campus. Uh, we don't get into too much detail, but any. Any thoughts, guys, on uh, USC doing the pool party thing? Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like marks the end of like the recruiting for the summer because now kids are going to start focusing their their uh, summer uh, camps start for their uh, their high school. So this is kind of like the last thing they do 
uh, before they buckle down and focus on their respective seasons, whether that be senior, junior, or maybe a breakout sophomore season. So this was just an opportunity for you know USC to kind of get one more final push of recruiting in. You know, had a couple of big guys on campus. You know, DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker, the two big modern day offensive linemen. Baker being number two offensive tackle in the country in our 24-7 sports rankings. You know, Aaron Butler, the USC commit, was on campus. Uh, they had some guys from Texas come up. Uh, Jordan Anderson, uh, wide receiver. They had some Sarah guys, uh, Jason Mitchell, Dakota Field. So uh, there's a Bosco contingent there. So they had some top guys from across Southern California. So pretty good turnout. And now, you know, these guys are going to focus on their senior years, their high school seasons, what have you, um, at moving forward. And hopefully, you know, that sticks in their mind, you know, this pool party when they come back to USC uh, in the fall for when they come to Coliseum to, to watch USC, the new USC under Lincoln Riley. So it's just a little end point, uh, exclamation point on the summer recruiting that USC has had uh, this offseason. I think the most notable thing from this, along with the the two modern-day offensive linemen, because obviously offensive line has been such an issue for USC in the past, is that there are a number of local kids that might have gone elsewhere, that probably would have gone to some event, some unofficial visit, especially the younger kids. Let me go check somewhere else out. And there's players like uh, DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker who have been to USC multiple times since Lincoln Riley was hired, but decided to come back to USC for another event rather than go check out somewhere new, go somewhere else. They said, I just want to, let's just go down the road. Let's go, you know, to, to USC, stay in Southern California and, you know, hang out with the coaches there, get to know them even more. I think that is a big step forward for USC and will more, more than likely uh, materialize in the 2023 class a little bit, but more even the 24, 25 classes going forward is that if you can keep those kids at home from Southern California, rather than them going elsewhere and checking out other places, those extra trips that they make away that, that come to you versus going somewhere else means that much more of an opportunity to keep them home. Those are the players that you really want. All right. Should we uh, jump into some questions? This is general we'll rapid fire, right? I think oh, we should, we're rapid. We could probably rapid fire. I, I'll try to pull. Do you have any that you want to do? I can look through. Um, I'll look through the, the, doc, the comments. The doc here. Has, has them all in there as well as uh, the bolded ones that are, are probably the better questions. So, oh, nice. Um, well, here, let me. I'm going to grab some from. Uh, so these are rapid fire, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Here, there's one from John. I'm going to pull up here on the screen. Uh, is, is Coach Lincoln Riley going to make any surprise additions via the transfer portal? And is SC recruiting uh, Aiden Breland, the defensive lineman from modern day? I get the Aiden Breland question a lot. Uh, to my knowledge, he wasn't at the pool party uh, over the weekend. You know, he's a big boy. He's like six foot five, uh, 270 or something. Um, yeah, I don't know why there doesn't seem to be any sort of real kind of traction between those two. Uh, but also, it's like he's a 2024. I know you you do want to try to get in the door early, but there's still a lot of time, you know, for USC to kind of kind of pick that recruitment up. It seems like the two offensive linemen are their kind of their main priorities: Baker and uh, DeAndre Carter. Um, I would not be shocked if down the line they start recruiting him a little more. And remember, T.A. Cunningham from Los Alamitos, the big five-star uh, defensive tackle, number one defensive lineman in the country. Just came to Los Al, uh, transferred over from Georgia. So I think he's going to be obviously the number one guy uh, 
probably on that board and probably and for that defensive line haul they're trying to get in 2024. So a couple of other guys on the on the list above him, I would say, but I I could definitely see them getting involved uh, with Breland and then with Lincoln Riley. Actually, I'm gonna let Shotgun take it because I've talked too much for a rapid. Um, for for the Breland uh, question, let's just say that remember when Nate Burrell had a huge you know sophomore season for St. John Bosco, and everyone was like, "Why is USC not recruiting him harder?" And he, you know he got to a stage, and he's a you know Pac-12 recruit, but not the guy that USC was looking for. So let it play out. You want to see how those guys develop when they still have some time to go along. And sometimes you you know you you put a put an iron in the fire and you keep it a little bit warm, but you're not really stoking the fire and trying to make it a, a huge bonfire uh, to to begin with. So you know maybe that's a wait and see recruit for USC. Obviously they're going to be at Modern Day to see their practices, to see their games. So if he shows out then, then it may come on as this, as it progresses. All right, we got another one. This one's from uh, Tony. Were our guys intentionally upstaging uh, all in slick tailored suits, or did we just not get the memo on the mandatory, quote, yard work casual attire plan for the other 11 schools? <laughs> Look, so I didn't read that full question initially that, that it said yard work in there. Uh, <laughs> yard work casual, that's pretty good. You, you want to be casual. A lot of players, you know, a lot of teams travel casual, and some teams travel where you got to wear a suit and tie. And USC, and Caleb Williams is a guy that loves his fashion, and I was not a big fan of his fit at this at this particular event. Well, I'm not a big fan of the checkered suits, and uh, not 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 a big fan there. But you know, they said we're going to ball out, and we're going to show them what LA and Hollywood is about. And you know, they looked much better than the rest of the group. And hey, it's a, you want to be casual when you're traveling? And maybe because a lot of the other teams were traveling, they decided let's just go casual with it. Where USC is like, we're going to be on TV, even if it's the Pac-12 network. We're going to look good. Yeah. Uh, I just want to shout out Jed Fish, who also wore a suit, but yes. no tie kind of open. The suit was whatever, but he had the fresh pair of uh, Nikes on with the blue and a white. So pretty clean for the Arizona head coach. I just want to say uh, a, a top five fit for me. He, he was very good. He's, you know, you always have those coaches that are fun to listen to, like when Mike Leach was around or whatever. I, I mean, Rolovich was pretty fun even before he went like kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Pups. But uh, I would say Jed Fish <laughs> was really good. He did. He kind of took a shot at USC about recruiting where they were like, yeah, you know, if, if you want to stay home and you want to be able to like, you know, you're going to fly four hours to go to New Jersey or something to watch a game, or you can jump in your car and just five and a half hours, you'll be in Arizona and Chris Cartman was next to me and he tweeted something like, yeah, you're going to probably get a lot of speeding tickets if you're getting to Arizona in five and a half hours. But Shotgun can do um, it. Yeah. And also, let's just fly if, rather than drive that. Yeah, it's a quick fly. It's going to be the same amount of time. Let's, let's at least go across the country and check out some different climates. Yeah. All right. We're not doing very good rapid fire thing. Uh, Bobby. <laughs> I'm trying. What are your thoughts on the careful report about shutting down expansion last year? Is she playing check, 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 chess there? Everyone else playing checkers? Playing chess? Yeah. She's playing mahjong. Um, I think it's the, the, we mentioned it earlier in the show, but I think it's super intriguing. Was USC doing this on purpose to set up what was going forward? Or was it just, you know, how things kind of played out? And that wasn't something that USC was looking forward to at the time. Yeah. 
Uh, here's a question from Aaron. Uh, did other teams seem scared as well as salty towards USC based on the coverage other teams seemed uh, apprehensive, which I love? Um, I didn't feel I, salt I, or or scared. You're scared. I didn't feel any of that. And you're, we're we're hearing from coaches who we're not even hearing like from the athletic directors. I think uh, Rob Mullins was there. He spoke to reporters. The uh, the Oregon athletic director. I think you get a better feel for from ads. But like Jen Cohen wasn't there. The the Washington athletic director, like I said, USC UCLA's athletic directors weren't there. The head coaches. This is all above their pay grade. Um, you know, they're just like, how does this affect me now? So I I don't think there was a lot of salt or anything. There was a few veiled shots from Klyovkov. Uh, and then, you know, you're, you're trying to pump up your own program. I think, you know, like Kyle Whittingham was, you know, pretty chill. He was really chill about this stuff. He was like, yeah, college football is changing. Like you got to change. And if you don't, you know, you get left behind. And uh, David Shaw is much more of a traditionalist. And he thinks that geography is going to work its way back. You know, it's going to basically, it's going to work out that you're going to still get back to your geographical area at some point. Um, so the only one who seems salty was Justin Wilcox, but I just think that's Justin Wilcox normally. Yeah. Um, that was just a normal day. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, let me, let me cheese wanted to know is Max Gibbs leaving the team. And we touched on this earlier, but yes, Max Gibbs is no longer on the roster for USC. Yeah. Um, here's this one from Andrew. Hold on. It's a little kind of, uh, how the sausage is made. You broadcast live shows all the time. How hard is it? It can't be that hard if we're doing it, right? Yeah. Uh, no, it's there's. I mean, there's. You don't see a lot of people doing it. We're seeing more people um, doing this kind of stuff. Uh, it's it's popular, and I think. And but you do need. There's a bunch of equipment you need. You know, a lot of infrastructure. But I, this is where my engineering background comes in handy. Like I've always been able to figure out this this kind of stuff out where. I'm more worried about how do I make sure the broadcast is going right? How do I get your question up on the screen and things like that versus what am I going to say? I just go off the cuff of what I'm going to say. I'm not, I'm usually worried about the broadcast more than anything. But If you ever see the screen go just to shotgun, just know that Ryan and I are putting out some sort of fire on the back end so you can't <laughs> see us. There's just a lot of hand waving. There's me texting like, what are you doing? There's a lot of chaos in the background. Yeah, yeah. No. And when we do put another, yeah. So I mean, just having all these different camera angles, like this is just part of what we did. We're trying to bring some level of production value for all you guys. So it's more entertaining. So like, if, Hey, we're talking about George Klyovkov, like, Oh, there's a picture of him up on the screen or, Hey, we're talking about Lincoln Riley. And, and there's a picture of him on the screen. It's a little harder now because, um, you know, when Keely was here, she was hosting and then also, uh, producing. So I'm producing as I'm hosting. Not the easiest thing to do. We would love to get like a regular just producer in here that can kind of control all that stuff. So you don't see me kind of looking for the next question and all that kind of stuff. They can do it, but it'd be better if like the three of us were just talking and then we have a producer doing it. So hopefully we'll be able to get that. Send us uh, your resume. This year. Yeah. Send us your resume if you're interested in doing that. So it's not that easy. Um, but it's, I, I love doing these and I think it's, I mean, we're, we're getting good numbers as far as viewers and stuff go. We get good feedback on all of it. And you get to kind of see what's what's going on here. And if it was just the four, like three of us on the screen just talking like in a Zoom call with three boxes and that's all you saw, you might as well just listen to the podcast. We want to try to give you some sort of visual, um, you know, adding to the experience through 
uh, the visual medium, not just uh, what we're saying. But we we you know we put them up as podcasts too. You might be listening to this as a podcast later. And live questions and everything else, we try to take all that as well. Live calls, hopefully we'll have that during the season as well. Go, get back to that. Um, but also make sure you hit the like. Make sure you hit the subscribe button below so that you are you know getting up to date on all these, so you can keep growing those numbers and we'll keep growing this and be able to you know invest a little bit more into it. Yeah. Ryan, have you got another question, or do you need to go to me? I got Dave. Uh, why didn't a reporter ask the Stanford AD when he was on stage with Klyovkov, would Stanford join the Big Ten if given the opportunity? Uh, that's good. He was he was asked about if you had contact with the Big Ten, and he said no. Um, I think it, when you're talking about Stanford, and I talked to a lot of people about you know Stanford because essentially everyone's waiting on Notre Dame. The you know, a likely pairing that's been brought up for Stan- for Notre Dame would be Stanford. There's a lot of, uh, you know, as far as academics go and all that. But Stanford, Stanford's in a really interesting case because they have 30-something teams. Like, that's a lot of travel for all those teams. I think they're really focused on the student-athlete experience. They kind of want to do things their own way. They don't do a lot of transfers. It's hard to get into graduate school. You you go you graduate in Stanford in four years and you want to play a fifth year. They don't let you you can't get into the grad school. You have to go somewhere else. There's some weird stuff going on with Stanford. And would they want to play that game? You know, the NIL stuff, like, oh really? You know, it's gonna to get to the point where players become employees and all that. And you just get the feeling that Stanford doesn't want to play that game. So I think he would have said, he could probably could have said no and not been lying, but you know, there might be some significant interest there if the Big Ten comes calling. But Stanford's not – they 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 got a 30-something billion-dollar endowment. Like, they got plenty of money, you know. So, I don't know if – if you know, it's not like UCLA where your athletic department was like $100 million in the red. This is, uh, this is you know, I think it's a different story. I don't know if Stanford would say yes, um, where I think Oregon, Washington definitely would. Any You guys have any thoughts, or Didn't he say yeah, formal? Did you say formal talks? I think he said formal. Like, I think the question was formal talks, maybe. Um, or if he didn't say, yeah. So they might have talked back channels and stuff. It's hard to say. I, I thought it was interesting, both David Shaw and Bernard Mir, their their comments uh, during Pac-12 Media Day didn't sound like they were in any rush to go anywhere else. You know, and, you know, everyone has kind of, you know, mentioned that, hey, if, if Notre Dame comes in, well, Stanford would be a good partner for them because you don't want to add an, uh, an uneven number to a conference. So, but it, would Stanford even go? That, you know, after those comments, you, you think yeah, that would make sense, all the extra money, everything else. Hey, it, the Big Ten's going to want to add some West Coast teams to mitigate some of the travel. There's going to be an issue for USC and UCLA going forward. But when you listen to those comments, you go, hmm, maybe Stanford has no interest, no interest in even going to the Big Ten. And like Ryan said, there are a lot of things that are that are mitigating factors that aren't working in Stanford's advantage, um, and maybe that's why you've seen the football team, the you know, not be as good the recent years. I don't think it's just that. I think there's been some issues in that program, but their only program that is, is on a national level outside of the water polos and the other you know that are regional sports is baseball that has really been producing, and baseball has its own challenges with the transfer portal and everything else. It's like Ryan said you're not getting grad transfers. You are losing grad transfers where other people are getting six-year seniors that are 24, 25. Tyrone Tallini is 26 years old, guys. 26 years old for USC. That guy, and you know, part of it is because of 
you know, his background and not get, you know, starting school at the same time, but you're not getting 26 year olds at Stanford because of the, you know, they have very strict standards for their grad programs. The baseball team, because I know that one best, has had one grad transfer. One. So, you know, and all these transfer portal and how that has become, you know, much more of a viable option even before the NCAA actually created the transfer portal two years ago, the last six, eight years, it's become much more of a bigger thing, uh, you know, in basketball as, as well as baseball, some other sports. They've had one in the baseball program. So, you know, they have some challenges there. And a lot of people, you know, can relate it to USC's baseball challenges. And we had a baseball question. I have to bring it up. You know, Roger Dodger said, Shotgun, if USC baseball disappoints again this year, should they convert the baseball field to a softball field and guarantee winning natties? And I'm so tired of this question on the message boards that I just delete these oftentimes. If, you want, if you're one of the people that puts USC should just get a softball team and get rid of baseball, I just delete some of your messages. In case you're wondering where those have gone. Because I'm just tired of listening to it, tired of having that discussion. They're not going to do that. They may add softball. They're not going to get rid of baseball and get softball. They're going to get rid of the baseball field and put a big pool there for the Olympics. But they're going to then bring back baseball. USC getting rid of their baseball team would be like Alabama during the Dennis Franchione or whatever, the the Shula days uh, where they really sucked, saying, you know what, we're just going to get rid of football. You know, we're going to get a lacrosse team. We could be really good at lacrosse. I know we've won a bunch of championships. We have the most in the nation, but we're going to go for lacrosse. That would be the equivalent of USC baseball, who has 12 national championships with the next closest school having half of that, having six. So, yeah, no, USC is not getting rid of baseball. All right. Thank you so much for that rapid-fire answer. (laughs) Very good. Uh, I answered multiple questions, Chris. Bobby, can Big 12 start marketing USC and UCLA openly in the L.A. area? Will USC start to promote the Big Ten in or around the stadium. Um, it's probably think, about a year away from that. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, they don't know, they, they haven't figured out the scheduling stuff yet. Uh, I don't think there's any, there's nothing they can't, you know, market. Like they could put like commercials coming soon, USC and UCLA, like to the Big Ten, you know, I'm sure that'll happen, but probably not like right now. Like they're going to talk about the current season and stuff, but I, I don't think there's any rule that would prohibit them from mentioning uh, you know, it's not like your coaches can't talk about a prospect that's committed but not signed. Like, I don't think that's the the case for something like this. Yeah, wait for the what season. What they should do is do like a, the commercial should be like a movie trailer, and the big reveal is at the end, and it's USC and UCLA. Yeah, just but if if they're marketing USC and UCLA with billboards or commercials or anything else right now, it, it basically it's just them being dicks about it. Let's yeah, it honest. would be. You could have like Tommy Jordan this year. Tommy Next Jordan, year, yeah, it makes sense. Tommy Jordan sitting at a desk and he's got like three hats in front of him. There's the Big Ten hat. There's the, the Pac-12 hat. And he's like, he grabs a Pac-12 hat. And he's like, throws it away. And there's the Big Ten hat. It does, you know, that would be just kind of a dick move. So probably don't do that. Uh, Chris, yeah, that should be a new next TikTok video for us. Ah, uh, question: Thoughts on Malachi Nelson visiting Texas A&M from SC Neal. He was there this past we've weekend. Had a couple, we've had a couple of these, and people are freaking out on our message boards about this. Our war room thread uh, was basically all Malachi Nelson to Texas A&M. But let's just let, just roll with it, guys. It's NIL. It's recruiting. People are going to take visits. Yeah, should you be worried? Sure. But are you going to be able to change anything? USC doesn't have collectives unless you're spending a bunch of money. You're giving a bunch of money to Boulevard. I don't think you really have an opportunity to make any actual adjustments. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else you got there, Shotgun? I'll, I'll look for another one. I think we're, I think I got, um, oh, here's one or one more from Mike. I'll put this one up and then we'll get to some more rapid fire. Um, Lincoln Riley was asked at media day what the expectations are for the season. His response was a national championship. What are your thoughts, uh, on the feasibility of that goal? And real quick, um, Caleb Williams was asked about from Bill Plasky about expectations and, he was like, you know, expectations were basically, he's like, we're not looking at like the big picture like that. We're just trying to get better every day. It's more of an incremental thing. He wasn't going to say we need nine wins or win the division or whatever. Well, no divisions anymore, but, you know, win the conference. It just wasn't the, from what he was saying, that's not what the focus was. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. What, what did you guys think about what Lincoln Riley said about that? I think there is a real-world possibility that USC could compete for a college football playoff spot this year. A lot of things need to go right. You got to get some. Uh, you got to get. Obviously, the defense needs to take a big step forward in year one for Alex Grinch. You need some production at some spots that have question marks. You need the offensive line to be healthy. And obviously, you need the the schedule sets up for it, but you got to get through Utah. You got to get through Notre Dame. You got to th get through a, tr a tricky Oregon State road game. Like if they beat Utah, like that, if they're going there six and zero, Utah six and zero, they beat Florida week one. You know that's a college game day, and they beat that. Well, then it's off to the races with the preseason, with all that, with all that uh, national media hype, and they're going to be talked up, and they're going to have a really good spot in that opening college football playoff ranking. Uh, come whatever week that happens. And if they stay the course, they're going to be in that discussion. Now, do I think they can play for a national championship? No. Because there are still so many deficiencies on this team that I just don't think they'd be ready to face, you know, an Ohio State team or an Alabama team uh, uh, in that first round or whoever, or Georgia, or whoever's also in that bracket. You know, I don't think the team is built for that. I think they're built to compete for a championship, a Pac-12 championship. They definitely could get there. They could definitely win that. And if things go right, you know, they're going to get some momentum. They're going to get some hype around the college football playoff, whatever happens, you know, after that Utah game, how they look going to that Utah game. But I don't think there's a real-world possibility they're playing for a national championship. I think there's a real-world possibility that they're – in that hunt seriously for a college football playoff berth. All right. That's all the questions I have from the chat. Any other ones you, you brought up? I, I didn't want to answer that one real quick. Oh, I don't think not, not real quick. Not real, real quick. quick. I don't think they're a national championship contender, uh, but they could get into the PAC 12 championship. And, you know, if, if Clay Helton was the coach, he would have said, we're in this to win championships. And then he would have been happy that they got a Pac-12 championship, but he would not have used those same words. So uh, I think that just tells you the difference in mindset of the coaches there. Yeah. Hey, Pac-12 South, Pac South Championship? Right. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's sure. exactly what Put I on a hat. thought. Yeah. It just was like this generic championships or what we, it was just like, yeah, what what does that really mean? It's a championship. I know. Um, I mean, there's a there's an outside chance that I think USC could make the playoff because the competition in their conference isn't going to be as good. Uh, if they can get over Utah, they have a chance of doing that. I don't think they have a chance of competing if they made it to the playoffs. So, just not gonna the way they're built right now. Like I think they're they're built that they could potentially win the Pac-12, but I don't think much more than that. 
I agree with that. And again, that goes back to the trenches and, you know, the conversation we had earlier about offensive linemen, you know, there's going to be one nicked up. Can USC sustain one or two or three offensive linemen injuries? If you remember back uh, the year that Vianney, uh, the USC lost at Washington State, Vianne uh, Tomavayo goes down with a season-ending injury. They lost three offensive linemen that game. How do you react when something like that happens? USC does not have the depth to contend with something like that this year. And maybe they get lucky and it doesn't happen. Sometimes you do get lucky and you only have one guy go down. But if you go into you get into a situation like that, suddenly you lose a game you thought you were going to win, and then you're you know you're behind the sticks basically trying to make up ground in a you know in a uh, college football playoff ranking system type of thing. So a couple of, of rapid fire questions I had. Andrew had a great question early in it in the the chat. Who will have a bigger impact this season, Damani Jackson or Relique Brown? I thought that was really interesting. The two modern day teammates that were both freshmen this year. I would say Relique, just because it's much. I think it's easier to quantify. Uh, quantify his impact with yards and catches and stuff like that and he's a dynamic weapon for that offense which has weapons but you know lincoln's gonna find a way to use uh every little skill player that he has so i would say relique yeah i think i would go relique also there's not a lot of depth at the running back spot um but i could see jackson coming in helping out on special teams put return for a touchdown or something pick six things like that then if that's the case yeah uh, just a little rusty yeah, hasn't played football in a minute just because of the injury and such. So he's still trying to get back into it. Valid point. The the counterpoint to that would be Relique Brown has a lot more competition for reps, whereas cornerback is super thin for USC. So can Damani Jackson take over one of those? From the videos and stuff we've seen, from what I've been, what I've heard, Damani Jackson's fully healthy, should be ready to go for fall camp with no restrictions. So if that is truly the case, uh, I think that bodes well for USC's cornerback class. Uh, you know, especially with, you know, the injury to Zion Branch making it a little bit thinner. Maybe they move somebody over that safety spot. Who knows uh, as far as, uh, you know, what he may be able to jump in there. Andrew also had the question, is Stanford a threat week two? Mm, I mean, they beat USC last year, but I would say <laughs> uh, no. I don't think Stanford's going to be very good. They they won three games last year, even though two of them were USC and Oregon. Um, it would need to be a shootout. I think they're going to be not so good. And Tanner McKee, who is a legit NFL guy, would, have to, be, would have to ball out. Um, but I think USC will have more than enough offense and just enough defense to, to to pull it out. Yeah, Stanford will have better weapons this year, I think. But they lost their running backs. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't think they're going to be very the, good. The big question is, does their offensive line play any better? That's been the big issue for hmm. For them. They haven't been ball style where they can just pound you over and over and over with the running game. And then now you have to bring eight in the box. And you throw one-on-ones to the big JJR Sega white side or whoever may be on the outside. They don't have that anymore because their offensive line haven't been able to do that or protect the quarterback. That's the big question. Can their offensive line get back on track? I don't think it will by week two. So I think it, it's not a huge threat, but every team is a threat to USC because of how bad they were last year. Other than the Pac-12 network, Ron from L.A., meaning Lower Alabama ass, how else can someone watch the USC versus Rice game? From Lower Alabama, I'm going to guess the drive is about 28 hours. So, Ron, just make sure you're leaving on a Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's bootleg links all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but just go on the Parastyle. There'll be a bootleg link in our game thread. It's Pac-12 network. Um, I want to address if there's up- a bootleg. If there's a bootleg thread... 
Make sure you're watching from an internet cafe if they have any of those in Lower Alabama. Yeah. Um, bless them breaks. There's some arguing going on in the chat because there's always arguing going on in the chat. But there, <laughs> there, I guess, some debate about uh, – so bless them breaks was talking about a recruiting expert that we used to bring in uh, years ago. Yes, it wasn't Lonnie. His name was Lanny Julius, and uh, he was met him through – former member of the USC sports information staff. We would go to lunch every once in a while. He was, uh, you know, worked at different colleges, talked a lot about recruiting. I, I believe he has unfortunately passed away, but he, we used to have him on like right after signing day, like on the podcast and stuff. And, uh, you know, he would say a lot and, and always had some stories of who he recruited back in the day and what the, and he, he had a lot of information and a lot of opinions on the current commits and stuff like that. Sometimes he's not one of those guys that would say, I don't know. He would just talk and like, maybe that was true. Maybe that was not a lot of stuff, but he had so many interesting insights to say. So I uh, just want to let it, the people, and they were arguing about that. Yeah. It was, his name was Landon Julius. Uh, we used to have him on, you know, once a year, I don't know, maybe like five or six times total, but we used to have him on kind of talking about recruiting. So just to, it, there was an argument. The recruiting guys being able to talk uh, talk for so much. Um, it's in their blood. Yeah, there there was a lot. There was a lot of talk. Uh, he was he was such a char character. Like if you, he would just like tell you this, tell you this. Like oh, and then I was when I was you know working with Eric Dickerson, he would just there was name dropping stuff, and he recruited this guy from high school, and I mean it was crazy. Like the stories this guy would tell, you, like oh my god, this is insane. So. Hayden wanted to know, serious question, does USD and UCLA get to vote on who joins the Big Ten, the big, if they were to add more teams in this round of realignment, do they even care? We have heard the rumors uh, about how USC may not want Washington or Oregon, may not want them in at this point. Uh, does USC get a vote? Yeah. Um, we know that USC gets a full share. I think when they join in 2024, they'll be – an equal member. So if there's any sort of vote, they would, it wouldn't be like, you know, I mean, it has to be unanimous, right? When you're, you're bringing someone in. So if they brought someone in after they joined, they could, you know, essentially veto, but you never vote unless you have all the, um, you know, the votes that everyone's going to say yes. So, uh, yeah, they would have, I mean, they're gonna have an equal vote, but it wouldn't be until 2024. The most notable thing I thought for USC from the, the, the big 10 media day was the fact that, uh, that USC is getting a full share immediately because USC is obviously better than Maryland and Rutgers. Oh, uh, oh, oh. Oh, what happened? What happened, Chris? You did that. You didn't need to go there. <laughs> we talked about uh, it on the Frank, podcast. Frank from Virginia want to know an NIL question, and you know, maybe we can answer this, maybe not. Can a commit that has agreed to an NIL have issues with the NIL if they decide to go to another school? Any legal issues? Any clarification is appreciated. Cedric Gibbons later asked, can you pocket the NIL money as a high school recruit from, say, Oregon and then flip to USC like Connerly is going to? Connerly's not going to do that. He's already at Oregon, you know, doing summer classes and stuff. But, you know, there, there has been this discussion, and this is a topic that's kind of interesting and kind of unknown. And you wonder if, if this type of stuff does go on, is there eventually lawsuits that follow it? Yeah, um, I think it depends on the contract. And if you look at different state laws, you can, in California, you can take NIL money as a high school player. So that kind of comes into play. What can be written in the contract? I mean, 
legally you're not supposed to make these inducements, but they are. They're basically you're trying to get these, you know, what Texas A&M was doing. Jimbo Fisher was talking about, you know, the w- the way they were structuring these deals and it sounded like that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like you're not there's not supposed to legally be paying a kid so he can come to your school. Um so yeah, I think some of that stuff is they can't have in the contract like you have to sign with the school because that's an obvious inducement and right. if the NCAA ever decided to enforce that rule, which doesn't seem like they are, um, then you're like, it's in the contract that you're paying to come here. But you could say like, I mean, there, you, I, I'm sure there's creative things and there's all these contracts would be different. I think some players are signing bad contracts, which we expected because people are just signing for whatever. But if you said, okay, so you want to, if you're if the Josh Connerly example, he's already in school there, but you say that like, well, you have to do once a month, you have to do a autograph signing at this Eugene card shop or something. Well, if you were going to school in LA, it's going to be really hard for you to go up there and do a signing. So um, just zoom in. That would, be, <laughs> but that would be a so that would be a way to be like basically if you're not in this area, meaning you're not going to school here, you're not going to be able to fulfill your part of the contract and you wouldn't get paid. Um, but if you switched, if someone gave you like a signing bonus or whatever, and you haven't signed yet. I don't know what you could, you know, if they say, well, keep this bonus, you have to do these events on, you know, at this bookstore or whatever. I think it would have to be some kind of language like that. But um, every contract is going to be different. So I think it would depend on the contract. And the interesting thing is going to be who has better lawyers to draw up contracts (laughs) with some of these top end recruits. And this has been something that's going on in baseball for many years because, hey, if you're a first round pick, you're allowed to have an advisor. But you're not allowed to have a, an agent because to keep your NCAA um, eligibility prior to a couple of years ago. So Scott Boris may be negotiating for you as an advisor, but not actually your agent. Um, that hey, Scott Boris going to get you the right contract. But if you don't understand the rules, maybe you're from a you know from from outside of a city. You just don't have that network that really can you know, direct you to someone like that. You're just, you know, you're taking someone from the middle of Mississippi and saying, hey, can you uh, represent me? They don't know contract law the right way. They're just a lawyer that's your family, that's a family friend or something. And somehow they get, they get duped on the contract and suddenly you're stuck in one of these type contracts. So that will all be, uh, be involved in it is who has the better lawyers at some point as well. Yeah. Uh, Are we about done? That's all the ones that I have. All right. Uh, well, we do appreciate everybody tuning in and uh, watching uh, on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also listening on the Parastyle Podcast feed. Wherever you're listening or wherever you're watching, please like and subscribe. And if you are not a member of uscfootball.com, a VIP member, you can do it for a buck. There's going to be a ton of content going up uh, starting this week. Well, there's been a lot anyway, but uh, fall camp content starting this week. So make sure you jump in there and get on that. We'll keep doing our shows. Um, the schedule, the, the practice schedule is not, you know, it's not daunting. It's not like a, we used to be able to go to campus every day. So we should be able to have some good shows analysis, kind of breaking down what we saw uh, out there at practice, what we heard from the players and coaches. So it should be a pretty good mix of us being able to check out the team and then coming to you on these various shows and kind of explaining uh, what our thoughts are, what we think the team's going this season, looking at depth charts and all that kind of stuff. So um, hope you guys enjoyed all that. Any final thoughts, Chris or Shotgun? No. No. It's been an hour <laughs> I'm and a half. Forward, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on Thursday. I should be 
as well, let's uh, knock on wood here and hope that my flight uh, goes as scheduled. If so, then I'll be there at media day to, to be able to meet some of the players a little bit more um, and, and get to know some of the newcomers. Looking forward to all that as USC gets into fall camp. It should be really fun. I mean, this is a team that's going to be completely, vastly, utterly different from last year's team with some familiar faces. It's almost like this team got bought by a company and, and you know, it got to, you know, it, part of expansion or something. There's some players you kind of remember, but a lot of new faces. So it's going to be interesting to see how this team kind of gels together and see how that camaraderie that Shane Lee and Caleb Williams talked about, the culture in the locker room, if that is true or if it's something that's just a talking point like we hear every summer leading in, oh, yeah, the culture is great. But I think some of the examples they gave gives me lends me to believe them a little bit more than some of the things we've heard in the past. Last year, obviously, the culture was not great. The team was not great. The talent was not great. This year, we'll see if all three of those things are better or if it's just the talent has improved because of what they've been able to do in the transfer pool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it's going to wrap things up. I uh, hope everyone out there enjoyed uh, the show. We really appreciate your viewership and uh, listenership listening, watching the show, wherever you do it on the various platforms. Uh, back this week, make sure you check out uscfootball.com. Tons of content, like I said, going up for USC Fall Camp. For Shotgun, Chris, I am Ryan. Thank you again, and we will talk to you next time. Like, subscribe, follow. Boom. <laughs>